Good morning. My name is Michelle, and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Park Aerospace Corp. First Quarter Fiscal Year 22 Earnings Release Conference Call and Investor Presentation. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during the session, simply press star, then the number one, on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, press pound. Thank you. At this time, I'll return today's call over to Mr. Brian Shore, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer. Mr. Shore, you may begin your conference. Thank you, Operator. This is Brian. Welcome, everybody. Welcome all to our Q1 Investor Conference call. I have with me, of course, as usual, Matt Farbauer, CFO. Uh, so, uh, Park, we announced our, our earnings early this morning. You want to go check that uh, earnings release uh, because in that earnings release, there are instructions as to how to access the presentation that we're going to go through now. And in order to make this uh, call uh, more meaningful, you really want to have the presentation in front of you. The presentation is also um, available on our website if you want to do it that way. Uh, so. What's interesting about this call uh, is that it, it was actually less than two months ago that we announced Q4, so there's not a lot of new stuff, but there are some new things. We'll give you some updates, um, and uh, we'll try to make it interesting by not having everything the same. Some of the slides are actually almost identical to the Q4 slides, but we felt we kind of had to include them for perspective. Um, some of you may be totally on top and remember every every line of our Q4 presentation, but I suspect most of us aren't uh, that, you know on top of it. So some of the slides we're going to at least uh, quickly go through just for the perspective. Um, and uh, and you know, like I said, maybe we'll skim through those, but they're they're there for perspective. Um, the uh, the presentation, you know, could take like 45 minutes for Matt and I to go through. So I just want to warn you, uh, partly because we're including uh, a number of slides from Q4 just for that perspective and context. Then, of course, after Matt and I go through the presentation, we'll answer questions for you. Okay, so why don't we get moving? Uh, slide two is our forward-looking disclaimer. If you have any questions about it, just let us know. Uh, slide three, we assess a new year table of contents. So the first thing, slide one, is the presentation. Appendix one is supplemental financial information, which is something we've included in our presentations for several quarters now. Uh, appendix two and appendix three are new, environmental and community considerations, diversity in the workforce. Uh, these statements, park statements, are actually posted on our website. I think maybe early June we put them up there, but uh, because um, we suspect that a lot of people aren't aware of, you know, every last thing when it goes on our website, you know, probably don't check it every day. We just wanted to uh, uh, attach these two uh, statements as appendices to this presentation just so, you know, we bring it to your attention so you're aware of it. We don't um, you're aware of them. We don't intend to go over them during this call, but we wanted to, you know, put it out there so you uh, can see them. And like, you know, anything else, if you have any questions or comments, please let us know. Okay, let's go to slide four. <clears throat> this is going to take a little bit more time to go through. So uh, why don't we start with uh, Q1, the numbers, uh, sales, uh, 13594000 And let's just compare that to Q4 for a second because this is an important perspective. Q4 was... Uh, 14441000 But remember, we covered this. Q4 included $3.5 million of uh, that um, that essential component. We keep talking about that for missile programs. Uh, so basically, that's a, a pass-through. We, we have the relationship with the supplier overseas. We buy 
this product, and we sell it to the uh, some of the customers, and we charge a markup, but there's no production involved and uh, very low margins involved. So really, if you want to get apples to apples, you might want to subtract about 3.5 million from the 14.4, so that's approximately 11 million uh, compared to the um, for Q4 compared to the 13 million five uh, nine four depends how you want to look at it. But just offering that for perspective, uh, gross profit five million for Q1 five million four seventy two and gross pro- gross margin forty point three percent, which uh, to us is something I don't remember seeing that maybe ever over forty percent gross margin. That's um, uh, quite good. You know we normally don't like it when our margins gross margins go below thirty. Uh, so above 40 is um, is quite good. The adjusted EBITDA 4.1 million. I don't uh, 4 million 104 thousand. I don't remember uh, how long ago it was that we had uh, EBITDA above 4 million and a quarter. Um, it's been a while anyway. You can look at the you know historical quarters. You don't see anything even close to it. And uh, 30 percent. 30.2% um, adjusted EBITDA margin, also quite good. And look at the history. You're not going to see anything like that. Uh, so let's see. What did we say about Q1 during our um, May 13, uh, uh, 2000, May 13, 2021 Q4 investor call? You know, what did we say about it? Uh, we said our sales estimate was was 13.3 to 13.8. So our sales came in right in the range, which is good. That's what we want. Um, and I'll explain that what I mean by what we want in a second. Adjusted EBITDA estimate was 3.6 to 4.1 million. So we came into the top end of the range. But let's say we're still within the range um, by, well, yeah, we're, we're just at the top end of the range. Now, remember our forecast philosophy, a reminder of this just about every quarter, is we don't play this, what we consider to be a game, where we give you a, numbers that we know we can beat so we can be heroes. We think that's kind of silly. It's insulting to you. And plus, it, it violates one of our principles, which is, we, t- we always uh, tell the truth, you know. And uh, as we know, we could be wrong. We could make mistakes. But we, if we believe something, we're going to tell you. We're not going to tell you we believe X. We're going to tell you X minus, you know, 3% or something like that so we can be heroes. Uh, we know a lot of companies do that, and probably almost all of them do it, but that's not for us. Uh, so we just want you to understand that. So we give you an estimate, um, a, a prediction. This is what we think is going to happen. Uh, we could be wrong, but that's what we think is going to happen. We're not shading it to look like heroes. Uh, certain factors which affected <coughs> uh, Q4 and Q1, sales and margins. <coughs> in Q4, sorry, Lord mentioned that there was a $3.5 million in sales of the essential component. For missile programs, very low margins, just a markup. And uh, Q1, actually, was the other side of the coin, the other side of the equation, approximately $1 million of um, sales of materials for those uh, missile programs. Those are very high margins, so you see the flip there. Um, eventually, all those, those essential components will be used and produced into prepreg and sold at, uh, at good margins. At least that's the expectation. Um, Q1, uh, other factors, uh, favorable product mix in some respects, and uh, also uh, cost factors, which were favorable for uh, Q1. Um, so, um, but that's only part of the story. First of all, there were you know no real unusual items or nothing special or unusual that pushed up the bottom line for Q1. Uh, like we said, you know, good mix. Um, <clears throat> we had those uh, uh, those uh, sales of the we, we call them blade of materials or materials for missile uh, programs. Um, and uh, just want you to uh, to highlight. We'll get back to this later. That there was a very steep uh, G ramp uh, with no extra people. Uh, so it's easy to say, oh, it's a you know good mix and stuff like that. But somebody had to make it happen, 
and that's our people making it happen. Also, with relatively low waste, you know, you increase your um, your production by significant amounts. Actually, compared to Q3, Q3 compared to Q1, four times GE uh, program sales, four times, 4x. Uh, that's a very, very steep ramp, and our people handle it um, and handle it really well. Uh, so. Um, QN, uh, we won't see those kind of uh, gross margins and uh, EBITDA margins for at least the next couple of quarters, but it does give us some perspective on what's possible. Um, now, cost side, we need to hire people. We haven't, as you'll see from the presentation, we haven't been successful at that, but we're still planning to hire people. T&E will increase as one example of cost increasing because, you know, with the, COVID, with the pandemic, uh, we were willing to travel, but nobody was willing to see us. And, you know, we'd go to call a customer, and, well, we're not there, we're all home, so you know, hard to visit a customer when they're not there. Uh, but we're hoping, you know, that will, uh, that will recover. So there's going to be some increase in uh, costs uh, as we go forward, which is what we want, a good thing. Let's go on to slide five. This is just historical perspective. Um, look at those gross margins, nothing close to, um, nothing close to 40%. And the EBITDA margins, nothing close to 30%, even during those uh, so-called good years like fiscal 2020. So uh, enough on that one. Let's keep moving. Uh, slide six. Uh, slide six. Okay, Matt's going to take over on slide six. So go ahead, uh, Matt. Please help us out with slide six. Sure. Um, on the uh, cash investment yields, uh, I'll just uh, let you know, at the end of the quarter, our cash and marketable securities were approximately $117 million, very similar to the fiscal 2021 year-end uh, cash and marketable securities. ARC invests in highly liquid, high-rated U.S. treasuries, agencies, and corporate bonds. Um, for Q1, our portfolio yielded 0.35%, so uh, rates very low. Uh, this is reflecting the decreasing rates on investments in our longer-term investments maturing and, and, and as they get reinvested. So far this calendar year, until just recently, treasuries, as long as three years, have been yielding less than that uh, 0.35%. Uh, for comparisons, at January 1st, 2020, Treasury yields for a one-year, all the way through the three-year Treasuries, were all between 1.5% and 1.6%. Highly rated corporate bonds earn a little bit better, but uh, but not much. Uh, just to give you some perspective, last calendar year, our investments earned last calendar year, that is, our investments earned on average 1.76%. For the trailing 12 months that just ended, uh, they earned 0.91%, steep drop-off. And for the first quarter, uh, this first fiscal quarter, uh, our investments earned 0.35%, as I mentioned before. That's how fast rates have dropped uh, dropped off. A one-year treasury right now will yield less than a tenth of a percent. Uh, net investment income uh, will remain very low until uh, we see a recovery in short-term interest rates. Um, so moving on to the tax rate, our effective tax rate for the first quarter was 30%, 30 30.0%. This was higher than normal as we wrote down some deferred tax assets in Singapore that we feel are not going to be realized. Uh, assuming nothing unusual comes up during the year, the rate going forward, the effective tax rate going forward through the fiscal year, should be closer to 27% for each quarter. 
Of course, a change in the federal corporate tax rates could change all of that. And there's been a lot of talk about potentially pumping up the federal tax rate. Uh, moving to depreciation, depreciation will climb through the remaining quarters of the year as we bring online our expansion. For the uh, full fiscal 2022 year, depreciation will be similar to last year's. Uh, last year's depreciation was roughly $1.2 million. Uh, but it will start low and grow throughout the year, throughout the quarters of the year. Uh, next year's depreciation, when all of our expansion assets are all online uh, up and run, running, the depreciation will increase uh, somewhat significantly as we have a full year of depreciation on all of those expansion assets. That's it for me, Brian, unless there's anything else. Okay. You want me to no, that's great. Okay, thanks, Matt. All right, good deal. Let's go on to slide seven so we keep moving here. Uh, so this is just um, a slide that we've um, included before this information. Actually, one of our shareholders said they missed it last quarter, so we decided we'll just put it back in. Uh, so you, I think you know the story, uh, zero long-term debt. Uh, Matt already covered $117 million in cash. And then we have the dividend history, $546 million uh, paid since uh, fiscal 2005, and we keep going. So uh, and you can ask if any questions about the dividend history, let us know. But when we just keep moving so we don't get too bogged down, got a lot to cover. Slide eight, uh, this is a slide that's become um, kind of, uh, I guess, standard for our presentations, the top five customers in alphabetical order. So, and we have nice pictures associated with most of the customers. Uh, first is A Aerospace, uh, that relates to the picture in the top right, the NASA Oriole program. Those are ablative materials we supply into that program. Next one is uh, GKN Aerospace, so look at top left, the Boeing 787. Uh, GKN is a contractor, and we uh, uh, supplying to many programs through GCAN, but we chose the uh, own 787 for this presentation materials uh, for structural components is what uh, what Park supplies. Uh, Kratos, they're pretty common, top five customer these days, and we usually uh, provide a, a picture of one of their drones, uh, the BQM SSAT. And I think we've mentioned this before, but we believe that we're the main supplier of composite materials for the uh, their drone uh, programs for the structures for the drone programs. And the bottom right, uh, actually something a little surprising, this is for Nordam. Uh, these are radome materials for the weather, weather master radome that are used for the 737 and 737 MAX. For Nordam, we also supplied Nordam through for multiple programs that we thought we'd select the 737 MAX just for a change of pace. Got a little bit of a Boeing orientation here, don't we? Uh, Middle River at Memrath, we got plenty of coverage about them, so we don't need a picture for them for uh, slide eight. Let's go on to slide nine. Uh, kind of interesting, I think, that looks like the uh, Q, uh, this, these are the pie charts, which I think are interesting. Parks estimated revenues by aerospace market segment. Um, but what's interesting is uh, Q1 of fiscal 22 is starting to look like uh, fiscal 2020. Obviously, fiscal 21 was, you know, big difference with uh, commercial being way down, military being up. Uh, but now it uh, looks like we're kind of returning uh, more to the pattern of fiscal 2020. Okay, let's move on. Slide 10. Uh, Park loves niche military aerospace program. This is another standard slide that we have and we're using in the last uh, few presentations. This is a project as well as the top five for uh, uh, Don and Elena. They always select the uh, interesting programs to 
uh, talk to you about. These programs aren't necessarily big or small. They're just programs we think would be of interest. Let's just go through it. Raytheon MPA-6 guided missile. That's a newer program for us. We supply ablative materials into that program. Uh, Lockheed uh, C-5 Galaxy, pretty um, aircraft that's been around for quite a while. And we supply materials for various structural components. Uh, the Boeing Apache helicopter materials for uh, secondary um, and primary structures. Uh, the Textron uh, System Shadow, which is a drone, obviously, uh, materials for aircraft structures. Been on this program for a while with multiple variants. And here's uh, something interesting, Airbus uh, C-295 uh, materials for interiors. Uh, we consider uh, radomes, rocket nozzles, and drones to be kind of the niche areas for park in the military. A part of our business. Why don't we keep going? Slide 11. This is just a teaser for you. Uh, like I said, we're going to try to make this a little interesting. Uh, launch is planned uh, for the James Webb uh, Space Telescope uh, November 2021 and uh, going where no man or woman has gone before. That's, a, I think, from Star Trek. Uh, this is a program that we feel really, really pleased and privileged to be on. We'll probably do um, uh, more of a detailed discussion of the James Webb, maybe when we announce Q2, since the launch is going to be in uh, November 2021. But we thought we'd provide us just a little bit of a teaser for you. So why don't we just keep going? We'll have to cover, like I said, slide 12. Um, our, the update on our major expansion of our Newton, Kansas facility, a total budget 19 million, spending to date 16.5 million, spending to go, we can do the math, 2.5 million. The expansion is basically complete, some brick and brab still uh, coming in, but the expansion is basically complete. Uh, manufacturing trials expected to begin later on this month. Qualification runs expected to begin in September of uh, this year. Um, just one little caveat there. Um, we've discussed this over the last couple quarters, but we continue to be challenged with our supply chain raw materials. Uh, we continue to fight the battle every day, so we're going to have to see if we feel we have enough raw materials to actually do the qualifications starting and, and trials starting in these dates, because what we don't want to do is start qualifications and trials and then not be able to produce for production. That would not be a good choice. So uh, we'll have to see what happens. At this point, though, this is our plan. Um, and last item, uh, I think important, we push forward with our major expansion when many others were slashing their capital spending. Good thing we did. Good thing we did because we'd be in a world of hurt right now if we didn't do this. Remember, we'll cover this later. This was originally supposed to be a redundant facility for the GE programs. Uh, but if we hadn't done this uh, expansion, especially based upon the indications that Airbus is giving about the A320neo program, we'd be in a world of hurt right now because you don't do an expansion, get a qualified in six months. That doesn't happen. So it's very good we did this and very good we stuck to our guns. It didn't falter and flinch and went ahead and completed this expansion. Uh, some pictures. And the bottom right picture is Donna with the door open, kind of welcoming us in, saying, come on in. The expansion is, uh, is complete. That's the, the front entrance. So um, good. Let's go on to slide 13. Slide 13 is really just going to review slides, so we'll cover it uh, quickly. Like I said, we're including these slides for perspective. Maybe some of you, you know, don't remember everything we covered in Q4. Um, this relates to single island in particular, higher jet fuel prices and environmental concerns provide extra motivation for airlines to move quickly to replace less fuel efficient legacy single aisle aircraft, more fuel efficient modern single modern single aisle aircraft such as the A320neo family. You know, look at those crude prices. They go up and up and up. 
I know they're down a little bit in the last day or two, but they go up and up and up, and that means motivation, motivation, motivation for these airlines to replace their less fuel-efficient airplanes with more fuel-efficient airplanes. Remember, at the beginning of the pandemic, we said, oh, boy, you know, these crude prices are so low, there's not much motivation. Motivation is very big right now. Uh, China uh, doing quite well with domestic um, aviation. They had a little bit of a setback with uh, – COVID outbreak and lockdown in Guangdong province, but they're still at the level they were at pre-COVID. They were actually even more than that. Now they're kind of back to that level, so still very positive for single aisle. And domestic translates to single aisle. International translates to wide body. U.S. domestic aviation recovered to approximately 84% of pre-COVID levels. That's based on a report I read recently. Uh, full recovery expected in 2022. Um, I haven't heard that some airlines are saying they expect full recovery by the end of this year. Very positive for single-aisle sales. Um, and uh, although it is a way to go, European domestic aviation starting to recover. Uh, positive. That's also a positive sign for single-aisle sales. Uh, you probably read this. United just did a huge single-aisle order. That's all uh, good news and good indications. That was not only for the H320 uh, Neo. That was for the Max as well. Uh, single aisle aircraft, place to be in commercial in commercial aviation, at least for now. That's our opinion. Let's go on to slide 14. We're continuing the same theme. Now, these are two new items, though. Uh, so let's look at these. U.S. and European Union resolve their 17-year-long uh, trade dispute involving subsidies of Boeing and Airbus. Okay. Um, we all read about that, I think. But this is kind of interesting. I feel a little strange. According to the U.S. Trade Representative, quote, we are finally coming together against a common threat. And uh, she mentioned China. I thought that was an um, interesting uh, comment from her. And then the next one, uh, Boeing recently stated is in no hurry to develop a new single-aisle aircraft dubbed the 5X to compete against the Airbus A321XLR. That was uh, – both those were a little surprising to me. So we'll circle back on both those um, – those uh, points uh, throughout the presentation, if that's okay. Slide 15, uh, we go through the slide pretty much every quarter. Um, remember, we have uh, – this is GE Aviation Jet Engine Programs. Remember, we have the firm pricing LTA. It's a requirements contract from 2019 to 2021 with Middle River Air Structure Systems. That's MRAS, a sub of SD Engineering Aerospace. Let me just remind you that uh, MRAS was a sub of GE Aviation, and that's why – all the programs run through MRAS are GA Vision programs. A couple of years ago, GA Aviation sold to MRAS to ST Engineering Aerospace, which is a major aerospace company based in Singapore. Uh, redundant factory construction really should say basically complete, not nearing completion, so that's on us. We, we missed that one. Um, but remember that that was our deal. Once uh, we entered into that LTA, we agreed, okay, we're going to go ahead and build a redundant factory, and we're people of our word, so we went and did that. But as I just said, it's pretty darn good we did it because we'd be in a world of hurt right now if we hadn't done that, not for not for redundancy but for capacity. Uh, we're sole source on uh, for composite materials, for engine nacelles, and thruster versus from multiple MRS programs. Uh, the first, let's see, one, two, three, uh, those are five, are A320neo family. Uh, then there's a Boeing 747, the Comac 919, the Comac ARJ21, which is a regional jet, and a Bombardier Global 7500. Uh, you can see some of these uh, programs, we have a sole source for lightning strike material as well, top right. Uh, 
part composite materials are also sole source on primary structure components for a Passport 20 engine uh, for the uh, global 7500, but that's not part of the MRS LTA. The picture is the legendary Boeing 747-8 engine cells. I love this picture because it gives you perspectives as to how huge these things are. And everything you see here is made with park materials in terms of the nacelles. Also, there's stuff, stuff inside, thrust reversers and, um, and um, the interfix structure, which you can't see. Let's go on to slide 16. Let's do a little bit of an update on, how, on the GE Aviation Program. Some of this is just review, some of it's new. Let's start with the A320 uh, NEO family of aircraft. <clears throat> That's the, the big kahuna for park anyway. Um, so the first couple of items we covered during our last or, uh, Q4 call, uh, currently at a rate of 40, going to 43 uh, by Q3 and 45 by the end of the year. And uh, that was confirmed by um, the Airbus CEO during a uh, investor call on April 29. They also mentioned a steep ramp in 22 and 23 for the single aisle airplanes, meaning the A320 family. Then this is new. April, sorry, May 27, 2001, news release from Airbus. This is just quoting from news release. Uh, so this is an easy one, just, you know, direct quote. A320 family, colon, Airbus confirms an average A320 family production of 45 aircraft per month by Q4 2021. Okay, that's consistent with the prior items. And calls on suppliers, that means us, to prepare for the future by securing a firm rate of 64 uh, per month, I'm going from uh, 64 per month by Q2 of 2023, in anticipation of continuing recovery. Continued recovery, Airbus is also asking suppliers, meaning us, to enable a scenario, a rate of 70. 7-0 by Q1 2024. Longer term, Airbus is investigating opportunities for rates as high as 75 at 2025. Let me just explain what 75 means. That 75 would represent 20%, sorry, 21% higher than the peak of our long term forecast that we're using. Uh, that's very significant if it pans out. Uh, both in units and in dollars. And let me go to the next item because it kind of is important that you understand how we get to that 21% uh, number. Next item on slide 17, uh, continuing. As of the end of May 2021, CFM, meaning the Leap 1A engine, had like 60%, it's actually I think about 60.4% share of firm orders for the A320 Neo family of aircraft. That's the source of that is Aero Engine News. So A320neo uh, two engines uh, are on the A320 Neo, the Leap 1A and a Pratt engine. So this is saying that in terms of firm orders, this is not forecasting, this is not speculation, this is not some smart guy who thinks, you know, he knows what's going to happen. This is 60% of firm orders. So when we do the math, we use 60%. That may not pan out, but that's what we use. Just want you to understand that. So we say that 75 in the prior page translates to a 20, 21% increase over the top of our forecast, where it peaks. That's based upon assuming a 60% share for the uh, for the Leap 1A engine. Okay, let's uh, keep going on uh, slide 17. Another little interesting thing. On May 21, uh, 2021, CFM and Indigo, India's large airline, announced that Indigo selected the Leap 1A to provide uh, to power an additional 310, wow, 310, H-420 Neo family of aircraft representing CFM's largest order ever, a number of units. Now, what's interesting here also, a little side note, is India's had some trouble with uh, COVID, as you probably know recently. So it's been a setback for its commercial um, 
domestic aviation industry, but you know these people are smart; they're thinking ahead. Uh, so they're going ahead and ordering these uh, airplanes with these engines, which obviously is good for park. Then um, last item at 17, uh, Airbus recently announced it is resuming work on a, a new assembly line in Toulouse for A321neo aircraft. Airbus announced assembly this assembly, new assembly line is scheduled to be operational by the end of 2022. Why is that significant? Um, so some people look back at the last item on 16 and say, oh yeah, Airbus, they're all talk, you know, they don't really mean it. Uh, but maybe this is Airbus saying they're not all talk and maybe they're putting their money where their mouth is. I tend to listen to Airbus, you know, uh, I'm not, uh, I think they're smart people that we're talking about. Just an example, last year they were saying we're not going to go below 40, and you know, lots of these smart analysts and, and um, commentators, oh, it's not going to happen, they're going to go below 40. Uh, so we didn't know what was going to happen. We certainly paid attention to Airbus when they said we're not going below 40, and they never went below 40. So we'll see what happens, never know, but I just wanted to give that perspective. There's a nice picture of the A320neo, uh, sorry, A321neo. Uh, with the Leap 1A engine, slide 17. Let's go to slide 18. Uh, let's talk about this uh, XLR, 321 XLR. So some of this we covered, some of it is new. Uh, first test aircraft uh, nearing final assembly, first flight expected next year. Uh, certification entered into service, that's 2023. That's like, uh, you know, tomorrow in uh, commercial aviation time frame. You know, like talk about dog years, two years is nothing. Uh, and they've been saying this. They're not backing down. So that's pretty important. Uh, is this going to be a game changer? A lot of people say, yeah, it might be, um, because the, the concept is that this airplane could replace wide bodies on many missions which, with much lower costs. So here's a key question. Is this single aisle, 5,000-plus statue mile range, 225-plus seating capacity market being seated to the Airbus A321XLR, by Boeing, you know, Boeing said they're not in any hurry to come up with a competitor. I know what that means. I'm just telling you what Boeing has said. Um, but um, either way, this is, I think, will be a, a pretty, my, my feeling is this could be a big airplane uh, for Airbus and for Park, and we'll, and, uh, we'll see what Boeing does. Um, and uh, we'll just have to see. I'm just telling you what Boeing has said. I don't have any inside track in the Boeing. I'm not, you know, I'm not inside guy at Boeing. I'm just telling you what they said. So I'm a little surprised about that, like I, I commented previously. But nevertheless, uh, that's what they've said. Let's go on to slide 19, uh, continuing with the updated GE Aviation Jet Engine programs. The 919, uh, this is a Comac airplane that's uh, designed to compete against the MAX and the A320. Uh, it's a single aisle. Comac continues to maintain the intent to certify and begin deliveries of this aircraft before the end of this year. So we'll see what happens. I think originally it will be um, for the Chinese market, but they intend, uh, Comac, Chinese, they want to be world players and commercial aviation. So as compared to the, uh, the regional jet, which is really kind of a China airplane, they want this to be an airplane not just for China, the 919. They want this to be an airplane for the world, meaning they'll have to get it served by the FAA and EASA, that kind of thing. But I think they'll begin with a Chinese certification delivery into uh, China. This airplane could be a you know a pretty big opportunity for Park once it gets going. But here's a couple of questions. How will the recent peace treaty between Boeing and Airbus intended to deal with their, quote, common thread, unquote, to affect COMAC and the 919 program? 
I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. Um, I, I sense it will not affect the domestic sales, Chinese domestic sales, but um, we'll see. We'll see what's going to happen there. It's kind of, uh, I think, a strange development, and I think it was strange that the U.S. Trade Representative was so blunt about, uh, you know, the intentions about the, of this tre peace treaty. Then the other thing is Comac recently reiterated plans to complete the development of domestic engine alternative to Leap 1C engine for the C919 by 2025. <laughs> so what I would say about this is that, in my opinion, it's much more difficult to certify an engine than an airplane. Certifying an engine is a big, big deal. It's, the engines are very complex and a lot going on with engines. So we'll see if that happens. Uh, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Uh, slide 20, still going with the updates on the uh, Global 7500 and the IRJ-21. <clears throat> the, we've been saying these uh, programs are in a ramp mode for the last couple of quarters. That's based on the forecast we've been given. But now the nice thing is we're seeing it in, in the order patterns with the uh, Passport 20 for the Global 7500, even beginning in with the uh, ARJ-21. We're actually starting to see it in the order patterns, uh, nice pictures of these airplanes. So that's good news. So let's go on to slide uh, 21. And uh, last but definitely not least, the Boeing 747-8. Boeing announced that it uh, will terminate production of the Queen of the Skies uh, in 2022, along with the Queen. To me, this is a very, very special airplane. And we got pictures of the legendary Boeing 747 Queen of the Skies in real life. Real life means that these pictures are all taken at Anchorage Airport and all taken by me uh, from the cockpit of an airplane, of my airplane. Uh, the top uh, pictures I was taxiing behind these airplanes, by the way, you don't taxi too closely behind a 747, just in case you ever have that, have that experience or have that option, don't do that. And the other one is just a, the, uh, the the middle picture is the airplane uh, landing right in front of me as I was what's called holding short of the runway. Uh, slide 22, this is all review. Um, and I, I wanted to include this slide because it kind of gives, I like the pictures Donna picked out for this slide, uh, but it gives some perspective on just how bad things were with commercial aerospace uh, last year. You know, and I'm not going to go through each item, uh, but, you know, it's just been everything we heard about commercial airspace was negative. But I'll, I'll cover the last item. Aviation analysts and commentators predicted full recovery would not come for many years or may never come, end of day scenario. We'll use that term again in the presentation. Let's go on to 23 continued. Uh, this is all review, but Park, Park, we didn't completely buy the doom and gloom news. We didn't buy the end of days were at hand. So we made our deal with MRS to maintain minimum baseline critical mass production. We discussed this uh, many times, so we won't go into the details, but I'll just say critically important to Park and MRS. If this didn't happen, we would be in a world of hurt. MRS would be in a world of hurt, and guess who else will be in a world of hurt? MRS's customers, because if we allowed our production to go to levels where we couldn't recover, then uh, there'd be big problems, uh, not just for us, but for uh, MRS and the customers, and uh, I don't know what we would do about that. And then the last item, even though layoffs are widespread and pervasive, we didn't lay anybody off. Uh, very happy that, about that decision, and it also was very important to park. So we laid off people. We'd be in a real world of hurt right now. Um, you'll see later on. We're having trouble hiring people, but if we laid off people, we'd be in a real world, real world of hurt right now. So good thing we didn't do that. Slide 24. 
continuing with this your uh, your review. Uh, we we spoke in a length during all the all four calls in 2021 about the significant divergence uh, from a mismatch between this minimum baseline critical mass and the uh, uh, and the then current end market requirements uh, for these GE programs. We talked about inventory to stocking. We said. Uh, can't the stock uh, destock below zero? We don't, you know, use negative numbers for inventory. I don't think GAAP allows that. And uh, divergence uh, was mathematically unsustainable, just pure math. And unless there was some uh, dramatic step down, day of reckoning was going to come. And well, it came. You know, destocking is ended at least for the programs we're on. Let's go to slide 25 uh, here. I'm trying to hustle through. Um, so the, the, the first item we covered this before. A second item, interesting perspective, I think. We alluded to this right at the beginning. In um, Q3 of last year, GE program sales, 1.8 million. Q1 of this year, 7 million. That's about a four times increase in two quarters. That's a big deal. That's not just talking about forecasting. This actually happened, folks. You know, so we talked about uh, these programs ramping up. Oh, that did happen. That's not just forecasting or somebody's opinion. This is just facts. Let's go on to slide 26. Uh, so slide 26, uh, we're continuing, uh, same theme. Uh, so we talked about this. We received a, you know, updated long-term forecast from MRAS. And if you look at the long-term forecast, basically very similar total number through the 2029 calendar year as the pre-COVID forecast. Now, we have an opinion about this, though, that may not fully capture the um, upside. Why? Uh, the, uh, the steep ramp-up of the h 20 neo aircraft family production discussed by, the Air, by Airbus in their May 27 news release we referred to in slide 16, and then significant potential XLR sales opportunities, especially in light of Boeing's recent statement about not being in a hurry to develop an aircraft to compete against the XLR. That was mentioned in slide 14. These two may be together, maybe this significant um, in, uh, indication by Airbus of significant upside may be related to the XLR and their opportunity, their optimism about the XLR. I think in prior quarters, I mentioned that it didn't seem like our long-term forecast that we received from MRS is fully capturing the XLR opportunity. So the uh, point is that um, there is um, significant upside. I already mentioned that uh, when you talk about 75, that represents 75 per month. That represents a 21% increase over the the uh, the peak of our in, of the forecast we've received from MRS for the A220 um, uh, Neo. Now, important question though, keep coming back to this: How will commercial aerospace manufacturers' supply chain respond to the steep ramp? Now, this is more of a short-term consideration, meaning eventually it'll catch up. But nevertheless, a very important consideration. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, the supply chain struggling, and uh, we see it as well. Uh, slide uh, 27, how is Spark responding to this, uh, uh, to the GE Aviation Program's ramp up? All about our people. Car Park's current people count 105. Like, what the heck is going on here? People still getting paid not to work. Uh, so how do we do that? How do we do that with GE programs going up by four times since Q3? Uh, and by the way, Q3, if you look at the presentation for Q3, there was 107 at, at that time, I'm down to 105 now for Q3. And we said, we announced Q3, we planned to add 15, 20 people. What happened? Uh, so we didn't, didn't get done. Very difficult to hire people right now. Again, it's very, very important we didn't lay anybody off. 
And, um, you know, we've been on time and uh, relatively low waste with uh, an incredibly uh, steep ramp that we uh, had to handle with less people, not more people, less people. Uh, so uh, parts people are stepping up, getting the job done. That's what parts people do. They're not parts people aren't big in excuses and whining. Just get the job done. Thank goodness for our uh, customer flexibility program. We talk about this every quarter. Um, can't emphasize enough how how important this is. Ramping down, ramping up gives us this flexibility that is uh, very significant. It's just a godsend. Without this program, I think it would be very difficult for us to get the job done. Uh, it's a big deal. Uh, slide 28, let's continue here. Thank goodness we did not lay anybody off in case we already covered this. Even in the darkest days of commercial aircraft, aerospace industries, Armageddon. We'd be in deep, uh, deep uh, you know what, right now if we laid people off. Uh, we only have 105. We laid people off. I don't. I think we'd be at a point where we couldn't even get it done. Uh, thank goodness for Parker's great people. Without them, we'd not be able to get the job done. Can't say that enough. Parker's fortunate and blessed to have the great people it has. Can't say that enough. Uh, and uh, just so you know, every park person, including Matt and Brian, receive a $250 bonus for their dedication and astounding, outstanding work doing during um, fiscal uh, first fiscal first quarter. Uh, so let's go on to slide uh, 29, uh, a little bit busier here. G Aviation Program sales history and forecast estimates. The top of the um, page is, is history, uh, Q1, 7 million. I think we already alluded to that. And uh, during our Q4 call, we predicted 6.5 to 7 million, so we came in just at the top of that range of our prediction. Now let's look at the, uh, the forecast. So Q2. For GE programs are forecasting six to six point six and a quarter million. Uh, the previous forecast we gave you during uh, Q4 was six point five to seven. So we brought those uh, numbers down. We'll talk about that in a second. Q3 and Q4. Those are new. We hadn't given you forecasts for Q3 and Q4 previously. The uh, Q. Uh, sorry. The, this little 22 total, that's unchanged, 26 to 28 million. That's what it was before. So uh, short term, let's talk about what happened in Q2, why we're bringing numbers down. Short term, it's, it's always difficult to nail because of inventory practices, uh, which can move things from quarter to quarter. Um, so, and also I mentioned before that MRS uses a, um, a company to manage inventory. So there's multiple layers. You have MRS as this company. And it's difficult sometimes for us to see through. We get inconsistent information. Not that anybody's giving us information and that they don't believe is correct or misleading us. Misleading us. It's just that it's complicated. So we do the best we can. We work at it real hard. But all we can do is kind of guess a little bit. Um, ultimately, what matters, the only thing that matters long term is nothing to do with this. It's how many A320neos that Airbus produces and sells, how many Comac 919s that Comac produces and sells, how many Global 7500s that Bombardier produces and sells. That's what matters long term. Now, there will be movements from quarter to quarter, but long term, that's what matters. And we pay a lot of attention to the inputs we get from the OEMs, which are not, we get it directly, just public, you know, public statements. Uh, so, but, um, as I said, we're not changing the, uh, the, the forecast for the year. And just so you know, we believe there are some upside potentials based on some of the indications that we're getting from uh, or hearing from some of the OEMs. But last item, supply chain risks of forecast. Where you mentioned that, I'll mention it again. Probably mentioned it every quarter now. It's something that's a battle, daily battle we have to manage. Uh, so far, we're okay, uh, but, you know, rates are kind of thin okay. Let's go to slide 30. This is now... Uh, parts financial performance history and forecast estimates. 
a little more involved here. So the, uh, the top of the page is uh, history, just for perspective. Uh, you already know the history, so we won't uh, spend a lot of time on that. Um, certain factors which affected uh, Q4 and Q1, we already talked about that. That's uh, the 3.5 million of essential uh, components for the uh, missile programs in Q4, 1 million of uh, sales of missile uh, program uh, materials in Q1, but we haven't spoken about is in Q2, approximately a million of essential component sales. Those are sales that have a very low margin, so just wanted you to be aware of that for Q2. Now, for Q2, what we did, we, we gave you a forecast for Q2 when we announced Q4, and we brought Q2 down. Uh, the top line was 14 to 15, now it's 13 to quarter to 14 to quarter. The EBITDA forecast previously was 3.3 to 4, now 3 to 3.7. Basically what we did, we brought Q2 down, uh, the company Q2 down, the, the revenues or sales by the reduction uh, in the uh, GE forecast for Q2. We just kind of passed that reduction through. So not a lot of, um, you know, brilliant math going on there. Pretty straightforward. Uh, let's see. Um, we have not changed the forecast for the uh, fiscal year, though, at this point. Uh, we have no, we no reason to do that. Let's see. What else do we want to talk about here? Um, so what are the risks? We, we talked about this a little bit, but we probably want to talk about it again. International shipments and transport, that's a risk for Q2. These are shipments, part shipments to customers that are overseas. Uh, international shipments have uh, become more and more challenging, so we might be ready to ship something, but if the, uh, the shipping company is not ready to do it, you know, it's not a sale until we ship. Um, we have uh, costs that are elevating or escalating, I should say. Some costs are covered. You know, we pass them through. Some costs are locked in. We have long-term agreements with suppliers, and some may not be. Uh, there's the supply chain risks. We talk about that, you know, uh, with respect to GE and also, also with respect to PARC. And then um, there's costs. We talked about this earlier. We're hiring people. We have T&E that will probably go up. So we just want you to keep those things in mind. Uh, Q, Q1 was a little unusual in the respect that we weren't able to hire people and the T&E was still pretty low because we weren't able to travel very much to see customers. Uh, we're also concerned about risks to the economy, inflation, um, concerns about our, the economy and our country. We need to keep our heads about us. You know, as we say, we didn't buy the end-of-day scenario last year with the pandemic, but we don't necessarily buy the happy days are here again scenario either. Uh, was it uh, Greenspan, uh, irrational exuberance or something like that? I think that's what he said. Uh, we're concerned about that, and we're just really paying attention carefully and watching carefully. And the most important thing for Park, we didn't lose our head last year. Let's not lose our head this year. Let's not get caught up in the irrational exuberance uh, stuff uh, because we think there are some risks and concerns about uh, the economy and uh, maybe the, our country generally. A long-term forecast, um, a few of you have asked us, well, when are we going to reach a long-term forecast? Uh, obviously not now. Maybe Q2, but probably I'd say more likely Q3. And here's the thing, you know, we, as we just went through, there's still a lot of risk, a lot of uncertainties. We don't want to give you a forecast that just, you know, puts numbers out there. Obviously no forecast is guaranteed, but we want to have some reasonable confidence that, yeah, these numbers look right. They're reasonable numbers. Until we get there, it doesn't make sense just get, put numbers out for you, which kind of doing a disservice to you and it's insulting to you to give you numbers that we don't really believe in. You know, not that they're guaranteed, but uh, numbers that we feel are reasonable. So we'll see. Uh, but that's our, our feeling about the long-term forecast. Slide 31, update on uh, acquisitions. 
other uh, strategic investment activities. Sorry, I know it's going really long, but we'll try to hustle through here. Um, Banker-led auctions. Uh, we're still trying. We did one. We're participating in one recently. We got to second round, and we backed out. Because the reason it's often not what we want. These are aerospace companies, but that's not enough. It has to be something that makes more sense for PARC. And also, we're competing against this cheap and easy money, which makes it even more difficult. We're not going to overpay just because there's a lot of cheap and easy money out there. What do they say? We've got to keep our heads about us and not get caught up in the mob you know, mentality or hysteria. So what we're doing is uh, strategic targeting of aerospace industry market segments and product lines. We think this makes much more sense, and we've done a lot of work on it. We've, you know, we've identified segments. We've reached out to probably about 10 different companies. This is more difficult. Why? Because when we go into an auction, guess what? That company's for sale. When we start contacting companies that in a, in a target market, normally not for sale. So we have to, you know, open the discussion up and take some time and be patient. Uh, JV still working on them. And uh, potential strategic investments in key aerospace and aircraft programs, that's something that we are um, pursuing uh, a number of different programs. We've reached out to OEMs, um, and uh, we'll see what happens. But we think that's uh, an interesting opportunity for PARC. And in some cases, I think they've even reached out to us. Okay, why don't we keep moving here? Living at strange times, these are our uh, final slides. So, again, I apologize for the very long um, time on the uh, presentation. Strange days have found us. I think that's from the doors. Um, people getting paid not to work, free money being forced, fed into the system. You know, in the old days, people believed work was, you know, something honored and valued. It, it gave the person self-respect, self-reliance, dignity. But now, you know, maybe not. Uh, free money it used to be that you worked hard, you sacrificed, you were frugal with your money, and one day this is not just a person, a company, you know, you'd be able to use that hard-earned money to do something, because it had some real value to do something important for a company. But now it's just uh, you know use the cheap and easy money. If it doesn't work out, well, it doesn't really matter because it never was really your money anyway. Uh, so it's uh, kind of sad actually, and you know why bother to work hard? And sacrifice because uh, you know why, why do that? Why, do, why not just tap into the uh, the cheap and easy money? Uh, it's kind of tragic in our opinion, but you know the like uh, the, so sorry. Continuing the world seems upside down and backwards to us. What was supposed to matter doesn't. Uh, what was not supposed to matter does. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, Park, we're not philosophers and politicians. We work for a living. Uh, we keep pressing forward. We do not stop. We do not back down. We do not relent. We just don't do those things. It is not in our nature. As I said, at Park, we work for a living, not philosophers or politicians. And uh, at Park, we make money for owners. Those are two old-fashioned concepts that we still believe in. Uh, let's go on to slide 33. Our family, uh, our Park family sticks together. We take care of each other. We honor the one we lost who we will not forget ever. Uh, Park is a strange and unusual company filled with wonderful and special people. We are very fortunate when it comes to our people. Um, at Park, we're not like the others. We play for keeps. We're not fooling around. We're looking to make an impact. The, uh, we always end our presentations with a picture of um, one of our crews or teams. This is our Q1 production lab team. Uh, the top row, Bailey, April, she's actually QE now. Aaron, uh, Leo, who's a... Uh, known Leo for a while, great guys. He's a second shift supervisor. Hallie, Patricia, uh, front row. Nancy, she's first shift supervisor. Taylor, Scott didn't make the photo op. And if you know anything about our business, you're probably saying, well, 
where is everybody? No, sorry, this is it. This is, this is our lab crew, production lab crew for our, our Q1. This is all we had. And we, you know, we, we've hired some people since Q1. So you'd say, my God, how did we get stuff done? Um, produ uh, production lab work for our kind of business is, is quite complicated, quite involved, and it's part of the you know it's part of the production process. Just like manufacturing, it's critical. You can't we can't ship product to customers until it's been t they've been tested. And sometimes the test is very complicated, involving multiple steps, involving multiple days for sure. Um, but uh, these folks are all multiple job category approvals under the Customer Flex program, and they all stepped up. Um, as I said, if it's not tested, it's not shipped, and we shipped. We shipped everything. A great job by these uh, great dedicated park people. Thank you very much to these uh, people. And uh, that concludes our presentation. Thank you, an operator. Hopefully some people, if somebody's still listening, who's ready to take questions now. As a reminder, to ask your question, please press star then one. If your question has been answered and you'd like to remove yourself from the queue, press the pound key. Again, that's star one to ask a question. We have a question from Brad Hathaway with Fairview. Your line is open. Hi. Um, congrats on another uh, very good quarter. Um, I appreciate that you're not giving uh, specific uh, long-term guidance, but I was curious in your commentary on the kind of 21% increase in Airbus versus, the, versus your kind of prior long-term forecast. And I'm just curious, kind of, if you look, I guess, kind of business line by business line, I mean, how do you think, you know, just directionally, most of what you're seeing compares to kind of what you previously thought in that forecast? Hmm. Do you mean like by segment, by segment, Brad? Is that what you're referring to? Or? Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe uh, I mean, yeah. commercial, military, business, okay. however you want yeah. to think okay. about Got it. Uh, so commercial is very dependent on uh, on commercial and actually business aircraft, very dependent on these GA aviation programs. There are definitely other programs around for commercial and business, but those are the big dogs. Uh, the thing that probably drives commercial at this point more than anything else is the A320 NEO program, although the other programs are significant and uh, moving up. Um, it's really hard for us to figure out what to make of these uh, these Airbus uh, statements and the news release, um, there are some skeptics that say, well, you know, doesn't, what, what, what does Airbus have to lose? You know, they just want to get the supply chain ramped up and doesn't materialize, you know, well, that's the problem, the supply chain. Um, I'm not in that camp exactly. You know, I, I think that we should listen to what they're saying and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, but, um, you know, that's a, that difference is a, is a multi-million dollar difference between uh, how our A320 uh, tops out in the forecast we have from MRS. Our forecast with, from MRS is based on units. I think I explained that before. So we have the units mm -hmm. we know per year. We know what the content is per unit, so it's easy to do the math and figure out what the revenues are. It's, it's many millions of dollars difference. Uh, so I would just say that, uh, just to give you a little perspective. Um, the rest, we're just going to really want to wait and see. I think it's kind of weird situation because some people uh, happy days are here again and and some people still got a little doom and gloom and I think we're kind of in the middle and we're not sure what to believe and where things are going we see some real risks but then we see the upside as well um, but you know Brad it's just hard at this point for us to make a quantitative judgment uh, that could translate mm -hmm. into numbers in terms of top line 
Um, and, uh, and like I said, we think we'd be doing you a disservice by just kind of throwing stuff out there. Military, that's interesting. It's just something we, we keep working on, working on, working on. Every quarter we give you some new, you know, pictures and new military programs. Not Maybe not new that quarter, but, you know, new to the presentation. Um, and um, we, we feel, feel real encouraged about uh, military. I think it's a real good opportunity for us, especially in the niche areas, um, where, you know, a lot of others just don't want to bother. It's too much trouble. You know, it's not worth it. Those are where the good margins are um, for us anyway. So we're encouraged about um, about military. That third segment, business aircraft, is uh, largely going to be driven by that uh, Bombardier uh, Global 7500, but there are other programs, other uh, business aircraft programs that we're on that don't relate to GA aviation. Uh, but um, that's, a, you know, let's call it the big dog in uh, business aircraft if you want to separate into those three, separate into those three segments. Got it, Chris. That's helpful. So, okay, so I guess it's kind of waiting to see whether these kind of 75 in, 20, in 2025 from Airbus is, is, is a real number. Um, okay. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry? Uh, I thought you were going to say something. Apologies. Oh yeah, um, I think we'll right. We'll, we'll wait to just to you know follow up what you're saying. We'll wait to see what other what other comments come out from Airbus, and we'll just be watching what happens in the market. You know, when you get an Indigo ordering ordering loads of airplanes with these leap engines, that's a plus, right? You know, so we got to watch and pay attention to pretty much everything. And what do you think about the long term potential for the Comac 919? I mean, you know, how big a program could that potentially be for you? My opinion is that it won't be the size of the for 20 but it could be significant. That's a significant potential. Um, so we have a lot of content on those engines, and it uh, has significant potential. Uh, let's see what happens. You know, we, we hope that they are successful in getting their plane certified and production lease for China. We hope they're successful in certifying it. Uh, in the rest of the world, we're not sure what to make of the P3 between Boeing and Airbus now that affects their COMAX. So kind of a lot of things going on that are hard to judge. But in terms of even the forecast we have from MRS, significant opportunity with a 919 to park. Mm. Great. Um, and then finally, I guess on the, on the M&A front, you know, so it sounds like you, know, you, you participated in a deal, I mean, the, I was curious about the strategic investments in the aerospace and aircraft program. Can you give a little more color on what that actually means? What we're doing, in other words, Brad? Yeah, what potential things you might do when you talk about these strategic investments as opposed to like okay. a joint venture? Oh, okay. So just for perspective, we did actually participate in the auction maybe I think about a month or two ago. We got into, the, I guess, the second round, but then we decided to back out because we, we had a kind of a, I don't know, gut check or whatever you call it, come to Jesus internal meeting, and we we determined, you know, this is really a stretch. It's aerospace, yes, but it's so far removed from anything Park does. The synergy was just not there. And we say, okay, it's aerospace, but other than that, I mean, there was there's no, no way in which one and one equal two that we could, sorry, equal more than two that we could figure out. What we have done, we decided to, I think about six months ago, we decided to target a, a specific aspect of aerospace materials that's closely related to composite materials. These are other materials that are used to produce composite structures for aircraft. 
uh, we thought made a lot of sense. It has a lot of more synergy technically with what we're doing now also. Um, polymer chemistry based, I don't want to go too far because, I don't, you know, it's, it's still something we want to keep a little confidential. Uh, so we did, it was, you know, the kind of typical thing. We did the survey. We came up with the usual suspects of 40, 50 companies, and we started narrowing it down. I think we've reached out to about maybe eight or ten of them. And not surprisingly, you know, well, some said, okay, well, let's talk, and let's talk some more. And some, well, we're not for sale. Maybe they thought about it, came back to us. They're in two categories. One are independent companies. Um, that's a little different, owned by maybe an individual, and the other would be a, a sub or division of a very large company. Um, the very kind of different approaches to M&A, because the very large company, you contact a business development guy, okay, we'll get back to you, let's look into it. With an you know, individual owner, uh, got to be you know, much more delicate and careful and you know, uh, respectful, I would say, of the, you know, the individual and their, you know, their personal investment in the company, that kind of thing. And we're doing both, you know, so... Um, uh, so it's harder because it's not like we contacted any of them. They said, oh, well, great, you call because you're just about to put it up for sale. Um, that would have been unrealistic. Um, so it could take a little more work, but if we're successful, it'll be a lot better for part, I believe, than just you know participating in something that's auctioned, which often is in aerospace, but other than that, doesn't really connect to Park's business very well. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Appreciate all the color. Sure. Nice talking to you. Again, to ask a question, please press star then one. Our next question comes from Christopher Hillary with Rubik. Your line is open. Hi, it's good to speak to you all. Hi, Chris. Um, uh, it, it's great to see the, uh, the strong profitability embedded in your outlook. Um, wanted to ask, uh, as you look out maybe a little bit farther, um, without giving guidance per se, are, are there aspects or are, are, there, are there ways in which the business has developed where you anticipate either greater efficiencies as you, for example, expand your capacity with the latest production technology, or are there areas where you see maybe the margins being a little bit more challenged because we've gone through this whole, um, you know, supply chain disruption, the need to maybe carry higher inventories? I'm, I'm curious if there's any developments in how you're thinking about your uh, opportunity to capture margins in the in the medium term. Uh, so efficiencies, I, I don't uh, with expansion, for instance. Um, I don't know about that. I, I'm not, I don't think we're expecting anything significant in terms of manufacturing efficiencies. Um, I think our I think our are already pretty efficient. Actually, I I know that's a little bit of a dangerous thing to say because you know you always want to look for opportunities to do better. Uh, but I think we have a pretty lean, pretty low cost structure. I think it's an appropriate cost structure, but it's also pretty lean, pretty low cost, a pretty low cost structure for manufacturing. Um, and, uh, costs, uh, you know, that's a concern. Uh, we, uh, pass on and we get uh, raw material increases. We often pass them on. Uh, in some cases we have long term agreements which, re which require the supplier not to give us increases. Uh, some things we can pass on, some things you can't pass on, like supplies is an example where you know, we just have to deal with it, you know, labor costs, the utilities. Uh, so, um, you know, we, we hear a lot of talk, uh, um, you know, news about inflation, and uh, we certainly see it. I mean, just the, the airline uh, cost, of, you know, to travel, 
uh, the you know much more than it was uh, six months ago. So some of these um, other costs are um, going up, and, and and some to some extent, you know, they'll be contained, and some extent may not be. Uh, but it's something we have to uh, watch for. In terms of maintaining more inventory, we'd like to maintain more inventory, but we're not able to because in these big components that I said where we're having some concerns about supply, you know, they have the same forecast we have. So if we say we want to order more, they're going to say, we're not going to give you more. We're not going to give you more than in your forecast. We'd like to be able to maintain a cushion inventory, but it's, uh, you know, it's pretty hairy, I guess I would say. And it's a battle every day to manage the inventories. If we could, um, you know, if we could uh, increase our inventories, we would. I don't believe that would increase our cost structure very much. It would affect our, our balance sheet, but I'm not sure how it would, I don't think it would increase our cost structure very much in itself just by increasing our inventories. Okay. Then maybe one more. Um, be, you know, given that you're a domestic manufacturer, particularly as it relates to your military business, does the desire to have more domestic production and onshoring come into play in any way with your existing portfolio of products or maybe how you're thinking about M&A opportunities? Um, yeah, I wouldn't – I'm not sure about the M&A part of it, but I believe the, the fact that we are one of two um, domestic uh, manufacturers of composite materials for aerospace, it does help us in that regard. And it gives us more opportunities to develop additional military business. Uh, so we'll have to see how that plays out a little bit. Um, there's certainly a lot of talk about it. Um, but I, I, to the extent that it's a factor at all, it would be a, a plus. Great. Thank you for your time today. Sure, Chris. Thank you for your input. If there are no further questions, I'd like to turn the call back over to Brian Shore for any closing remarks. Thank you, Operator, and thank you all for hanging in. This was probably the record in terms of the longest show we've ever done. Uh, as I said at the beginning, a little difficult because we felt we needed to include some of the slides from Q4 for, for perspective, and it um, made the uh, getting through the presentation uh, uh, it just took longer. <laughs> but anyway, thanks again for listening. We really appreciate it. Call us anytime. You can uh, reach out to Matt or me anytime you want. And otherwise, have a great summer, and we'll talk to you soon. Have a good day. This does conclude the program. You may now disconnect.